turn to Psalms chapter 39. Psalm chapter 39. I'm going to read the entire chapter, 13 verses. It said, I will take heed to my ways, that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle, while the wicked is before me. I was dumb with silence. I held my peace, even from good, and my sorrow was stirred. My heart was hot within me. While I was musing, the fire burned. Then spake I with my tongue, Lord, make me to know mine end, and the measure of my days, what it is that I may know how frail I am. Behold, thou hast made my days as an handbreadth, and mine age is as nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Selah. Surely every man walketh in a vain show. Surely they are disquieted vain. He heapeth up riches, and knoweth not who shall gather them. And now, Lord, what wait I for? My hope is in thee. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Make me not the reproach of the foolish. I was dumb. I opened not my mouth, because thou didst it. Remove thy stroke away from me. I am consumed by the blow of thine hand. When thou with rebukes dost correct man for iniquity, thou makest his beauty consume away like a moth. Surely every man is vanity. Selah. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear unto my cry. Hold not thy peace at my tears, for I am a stranger with thee and a sojourner, as all my fathers were. O spare me, that I may recover strength before I go hence and be no more. I've titled this tonight simply, Wisdom to Live By. Wisdom to Live By. Let's look at the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege you have to open your precious word tonight. And I pray as we look into the word of God that we be encouraged and strengthened in our walk with you. May we also be challenged and convicted where we need to be uh, convicted and changed for your glory and for your honor. And may we learn uh, tonight from your word some wisdom to walk circumspectly in this world in which we are living as we sojourn here on this earth until you call us home. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, this is, I think, a really a follow-up to the previous psalm. Uh, the previous psalm, he talks about being rebuked, chastened, in the Lord's hot displeasure, verse 1, he said, Thine hours stick fast in me, verse 2. So, you know, that's, that's a picture, you know, and it talks about uh, how he's mourning. Uh, he has, he's filled with like a loathsome disease. He's feeble, he's sore broken. And, and, and I think my personal opinion is that this is kind of a follow-up, that during that time there's some kind of grief, sorrow that he's referring to here in, in uh, chapter 39, for example, in verse 2, my sorrow was stirred, uh, that he, he, said, he said, I need to keep silence. And so there's three things I want to notice here tonight is, is from wisdom that we ought to live by. Uh, number one, muzzle the tongue. Number two, to measure our days. 
And number three, to mend our ways. Uh, but first of all, the muzzle of the tongue. So in verse 1 he says, I said I will take heed to my ways, that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle while the wicked is before me. And the word bridle here is not really, to us it's misleading. They would have understood it in Hebrew. But to us it's kind of misleading because it refers more to like a muzzle. You know, we, we put a bridle on a horse to turn it wherever it would go, not really to keep its mouth shut. But here the idea of a muzzle to keep it closed it really means muzzle. Something with which the mouth is stopped is, is the meaning of this word bridle here. So he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop my mouth. And notice this phrase, while the wicked is before me. And as we, as we look at the passage, he refers to several things. First of all, in, so we need to muzzle our mouth in times of agitated sorrow. If you notice in verse 2, I was dumb with sons, I held my peace, even for good, and my sorrow was stirred. So he has, you know, we would may say something about he's emotion, emotionally charged or unstable with feelings. You know, in times like this, what is the tendency of our flesh? Huh? Lash out. Or we're prone to wonder. I was thinking about that song, but I can't remember what, there's a phrase in the song. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. What's, what's, huh? Come now, Pat. Thank you. You know, um, I was thinking day by day, but it's not in there. But anyway, you know, we're, we are, as, as our human nature is, when we have times of agitation or sorrow or griefs, many times it's, we're prone to wonder from a right relationship with God. We, we might say, you know, why God? God, do you know what you're doing? It was kind of many times our thinking, or I don't deserve this. Why do I have to go through this? And we begin to you know, have ourselves a pity party, sort of like Elijah did. And the reality is, you know, you just, we, just, we just gave evidence as to why we needed to really go through this. Because we, you know, God wants to bring us to the place where we learn to trust God in every circumstance now if you haven't mastered that yet you're in good company as we'll see but but that's what god that's what god is working in our lives to bring back you know that you know questioning him or having ill feelings toward him in times like this shows a lack of trust in the providence of god you know we know the verses Romans 8.28 says, All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, them he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So God, we know in our heads that God allows the good and the bad, the good, bad, and the ugly into our lives for our good. As when those ugly things happen, we have a hard time accepting it, don't we? And it's in times like this that the psalmist said, I'm going to muzzle my mouth before the wicked. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, 
you know, our reaction may, many times is like, uh, like uh, one woman, why don't you just curse God and die? Now, I don't think any, I don't, I've never heard anybody say that they thought Job's wife was a wicked woman. I don't think she was a wicked woman. But Job said, you're talking like a foolish, or you're talking like a wicked woman when she said that. Now, did she have some catastrophic things happen in her life? Yes, she did. Um, but so, so in times like these, we need to muzzle, we need to muzzle our mouth before the wicked. Um, secondly, and of course, and also in times of feelings, you know, there may be feelings of anger. If you notice verse 3, he says, My heart was hot within me. While I was musing, the fire burned. Then spake I with my tongue. My heart was hot. Uh, we can become angry in times like this, or resentful, uh, or bitter. And uh, Proverbs, of course, has a lot to say about anger. Uh, Proverbs twelve sixteen says, A fool's wrath is presently known. You know, everybody knows it. But a prudent man covers shame. Proverbs 14, 2, He that is slow to wrath is a great understanding, but he that is hasty of spirit exalteth folly. Proverbs 19, 19, A man of great wrath shall suffer punishment. For if thou deliver him, yet thou must do it again. And then Proverbs 27, 3 and 4 says, A stone is heavy, the sand weighty, but a fool's wrath is heavier than them both. Wrath is cruel, and anger is outrageous, but who is able to stand before envy? So wrath or anger can be a very damaging thing. You know, thinking about a man of great wrath shall suffer punishment. You know, Moses was not a man of great wrath. But the time he lost his temper, it cost him. There were some serious consequences. Uh, You know, he didn't get to enter the promised land because he lost his temper. And so... Uh, Spurgeon said this, quote, the firmest believers are exercised with unbelief. Notice, the firmest of believers are exercised with unbelief and would be doing the devil's work with vengeance if they were to publish abroad all their questionings and suspicions, unquote. I remember there was a situation in Church of Lee one time and uh, we were having a men's meeting at the time. And one of the older gentlemen there, he was, he was a very wise man. He said, now, I'm just going to tell you, don't hang your dirty laundry out to wash. And what he meant by that was, don't let this be told out of the world. It was a problem within the church that we were working to deal with. You see, when we, when we say things that are displeasing the Lord or, or question God to the world, or in times of hardship, we question God, we discredit God and bring reproach to his name. This is really what I believe James is all about. Go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> James chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. My brethren, 
Count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations. So we're talking about different kinds of trials or tests. Excuse me. Knowing this, the trying of your faith worketh patience. Drop down to verse 12. And Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he was tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. So, so we're talking about enduring or, or um, remaining faithful during times of trials and tests. And, and, and of course, chapter 5, he references Job. You know the patience of Job is what he said. Uh, so we, we're talking about difficult times. And, and then in verse 13 he says, So in times of temptation, that's context, let no man say when he is tempted or tried that I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and entice. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. So, you know, even in our even in our difficult circumstances, you know, Job in his trials, I'm sure, like his wife, was tempted to curse God. Yet he did not. But she was, and she did. And that's what he's saying here. When you're tempted, don't blame God. Uh. Look, let's read on. Verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, and here it is, slow to speak. Slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God, Wherefore, laying apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. So, don't have a wicked imagination that justifies your murmuring and your bitterness and blames God. That's the idea. When God is trying you or chastening you, we need to, we need to keep your tongue. When the pressure's on, keep your tongue. Keep your tongue. Uh, so we are to muzzle, muzzle our tongue, but we are, we are also to express our burdens. If you're going to express them, you need to express your burdens or your complaints to the Lord. Notice in verse uh, 3 of Psalm 39, it says, My heart was hot within me while I was musing the fire burned. Then spake I with my tongue. And notice who he speaks to. Lord, he speaks to the Lord. He doesn't speak to the wicked. He speaks, so he takes his complaint to the Lord. Lord, make me to know mine end, the measure of my days, what it is that I may know how frail I am. Notice verse 7 again. And now, Lord, what weight I have for, my hope is in thee. And again, verse 12. Hear my prayer, O Lord, Give ear unto my cry, hold not thy peace at my tears, for I am a stranger with thee and a sojourner as all my fathers were. So he makes his complaint, and that is a Bible word, used in this context by many, at least nine times in the scriptures. Uh, he makes his complaint, or he expresses his burden 
to the Lord. You know, 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Casting all your care on him, for he careth for you. Go to, go to first, and we've seen an example of this, taking your complaint to the Lord, 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1. <clears throat> And this was a godly woman. We all know Hannah. And she was sorely tried. First uh, Samuel 1 verse 6 says, Her adversary also provoked her sore, to, for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so he, she provoked her, therefore she wept and did not eat. Then said Elkanah, her husband, to her, Hannah, Why weepest thou, while eatest thou not? Why is thy heart grieved? Am not I better to thee than ten sons? So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh, and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon the seat by the post of the temple of the Lord, and she was in, notice, bitterness of soul, and prayed unto the Lord, and wept sore. And she vowed a vow, and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look in the affliction of thine handmaid, and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli marked her mouth. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. There Eli, therefore Eli thought she had been drunken. And Eli said unto her, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. So she brought her complaint to the Lord. You know, she was sorely tried and distressed over this thing. It was a bitterness of soul for her, and she brought her complaint to the Lord and poured out her heart to the Lord. Job 10.1, Job said, My soul is weary of my life. I will leave my complaint upon myself. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. 21.4, Job said, As for me, is my complaint to man? And if it were so, why should not my spirit be troubled? You know, his complaint wasn't with man. Even to this day, Psalm 23, verse 2, Even to this day is my complaint bitter. My stroke is heavier than my groaning. And again, Job was a godly man. Psalm 55, in Psalm 55, the psalmist, you know, there's, a, there's a different word here, but it's a similar situation. In Psalm 55, verse 2, he says, Attend unto me, hear me, I mourn in my complaint and make a noise. You know, we often say, well, you ought to never complain. Well, they made their complaint to the Lord. They, they expressed their burden to the Lord. Now, they didn't blame him. They didn't blame God. But they did take their burden or their complaint to the Lord. Verse 3, because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they cast iniquity upon me, in wrath they hate me, my heart is sore pain within me. The terrors of death are fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling are come upon me. And horror hath overwhelmed me. And I said, Oh, that I had wings like a dove. 
For then would I fly away and be at rest. Lo, then would I wander far off and remain in the wilderness. Selah. You know what it sounds like to me? David just wanted to run away from life. And forget everything. He was overwhelmed. And he says, I pour out my, mourn my complaint and make a noise. And then, of course, in verse 22 of that same chapter, it says, Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. So we need to cast our burden or cast our, we're to express our, our burdens, our complaints to the Lord, not to the wicked. Not to the wicked. We ought not to bring accusation against the Lord before the wicked. But we need to bring our, our burdens and our complaints to the Lord. Uh, Psalm 31, verses 9 and 10 says, Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. Mine eye is consumed with grief, yea, my soul and my belly. My life is spent with grief, my years with sighing, my strength faileth because of my iniquity, and my bones are consumed. And again, he's crying for the Lord to have mercy on him. In Psalm 61, 1 and 2, Oh, my swelling heart must speak. Lord, let it speak with thee. Let's speak with thee. Even if there be too much of natural heat in what I say, thou wilt be more patient with me than man. Uh, I'm sorry, that's not Psalm 61. Psalm 61, verses 1 and 2, it says, Hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayer, for from the end of the earth will I cry unto thee, when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Uh, Spurgeon again said, quote, Oh, if my swelling heart must speak, Lord, let it speak with thee. Even if there be too much of a natural heat or anger in what I say, thou wilt be more patient with me than man, and upon thy purity it can cast no stain. Whereas if I speak to my fellows, they may harshly rebuke me, or else learn evil from my petulance. Unquote. You know, if we make our complaint to the world, you know, they may harshly rebuke us, and rightly so. But you know what? They also may learn evil from our petulance, from our complaints. So if you're going to make your complaint, if you in, in, your, in, in times of in, in sore trials and agitation and, 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 and uh, uh, agitated sorrow or emotional feelings, express your griefs to the Lord, to the Lord not to the wicked, not to the world. Uh, so, so before the world, we need to muzzle our tongue. Secondly, we need to learn to measure our days. Measure our days. In Psalm 39, verses 4 through 6, he says, Lord, make me to know mine end, and to measure my days what it is, that I may know how frail I am, or how weak I am. That's the idea, how weak I am. Behold, thou hast made my days as an handbreadth, and mine age is as nothing before thee. Verily, every man in his best state is altogether vanity. Selah. Surely every man walketh in a vain show. Surely they are disquieted in vain. He heapeth up riches, and knoweth not who shall gather them. So we learn to measure our days. You know, James 4.14 says, what is your life? What's your life? 
is even a vapor that appeareth for a time and then vanisheth away. What is your life? You know, the, in Psalm 90, verses 9 through 12, <clears throat> excuse me, he says, For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore years and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength, labor, and sorrow, for it is soon cut off, and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. So the idea here, when you know, you're talking to, uh, we spend our days in fear, thy wrath, or like it says in uh, verse four here, that I may know how frail I am. In other words, we need to we need to consider what little life we have in light of eternity, and and be reminded of how weak we are to beware of falling to sin, giving in to the pleasures of this life, spending them in a way that pleases the Lord so that we are blessed of the Lord, have the blessing and favor of God in life, and not the chastening hand of God, as David is experiencing here. Measure our days. What are our days? He says they're just like a hand breadth. There are several measurements in the Bible. Of course, there's a cubit, which is believed to be the, from the elbow to the hand. <coughs> there's also a furlong, which is an eighth of a mile. And then, I think this is the only place this is used, a hand breadth. That's that. The smallest. And he says, your life is just a, my days are just the hand breadth. Really kind of insignificant. Not much. Spurgeon said, quote, before the eternal, all the age of frail man is less than one ticking of a clock. Unquote. Verily, every man his best state is altogether vanity. This is the sure truth. Nothing about man is either sure or true. <laughs> Take man at his best. He is but a man. And a man is a mere breath. Unsubstantial as the wind. Man is settled, as the margin has it, and by divine creed, it is settled that he shall not be settled. He is constant only in inconstancy. His vanity is his only verity, his best of which he is vain, is but vain. And this is verily true of every man, that everything about him is in every way fleeting. Unquote. One thing you can be sure about a man, and that is nothing. Nothing. Every man at his best state is altogether vanity. That's not real um, encouraging, is it? But it is a reality. We are frail. Job said, Job 7, 17, What is a man that thou shouldest magnify him, that thou shouldest set thine heart upon him? Job fifteen fourteen. What is man that he should be clean? And he that which is born of a woman, that he should be righteous. Isaiah said in Isaiah 2, 22, Cease ye from man whose breath is in his nostrils, for wherein is he to be accounted of? 
And in chapter 2 of Isaiah, he's talking about the children of Israel, of course, were looking to Egypt and looking to men and trusting in other people to defend them. And, and he says, see she from man or things made by man. They were, they were, they were worshiping idols, things made by man. These are man-made. So see she from things of man whose breath is simply in his nostrils. And what's he to be accounted of? He's vain. So don't put your trust in man or man-made things. Of course, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1, 24 and 25, all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. You know, the wisest and strongest men were both corrupted by fleshly appetites, sensual passions. The mightiest of kings was reduced to living like an ox, eating, eating grass like an ox. He became insane for seven years. The mightiest of kings. The meekest man in the earth in his time lost his temper. And the man exalted to a position of holiness unto the Lord. The high priest made the golden calf. The spiritual giant of the New Testament said, For I know that in me, that is my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. And that was Paul. Romans seven eighteen. So who am I? What am I? I'm just a man. So we need to consider our days and consider how frail or how weak we are. As I mentioned, that song says, we're prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave that God of our natural inclination is always to forsake the Lord, to do that which is evil, not to do that which is right. You know, Ephesians 2 and verse 2 says, verse, verse 1 and 2. You hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses sins, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. See, we all are by nature children of wrath. And without the mercy and grace of God, well, we'd just be like the rest of the world. We'd be no different. You might say, well, 
I'm just not naturally that way, or I know somebody that's just naturally not that way. No, they're not. No. The only, re the re the only reason you and I are not brute beasts is because we've been trained not to be. And then we've, had, it, we've been born again by the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God bears witness to our spirit, and he teaches us and instructs us and convicts us when we do wrong, and he convinces us to do what's right. It's not because I am naturally good, because I am not. You see, the sooner, the, what David is saying is, look, I need, I need to understand this to realize what I really am in the sight of God and to realize what God desires for my life, that my life will not be in vain. It'll not be in vain. And so, you know, we need to, we need to uh, measure our days, consider our time that we have, and live it for the Lord. That it may not just be a vain show. Notice, uh, notice verse 6. Surely every man walketh in a vain show. Surely they are disquieted in vain. In other words, there's no rest of them. They work day and night. You know, the world works day and night to get the things of this world. You know, Nebuchadnezzar marched all over the known world to get all the treasures of the world. And what did he leave him to? To his grandson who boasted and bragged and drank wine out of the vessels of the temple, and while he's sitting there bragging and drinking his wine out of the vessels of the temple, Cyrus is outside the gate. And they drain the river and open the gates and march into the city and kill him that night. And all that Nebuchadnezzar left is taken by the Persians. You say, what a waste. His grandson just wasted it. It was a vain show. He heapeth up riches and knoweth not who shall gather them. Now we're not to lay up riches on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and thieves do break through and steal. We're to lay up treasures in heaven. And so David's saying here, look, we need to consider our days we need to measure our days and lay up treasure. Work to please the Lord. Don't heap up that which is vanity and vain. You know, Solomon, Solomon in Ecclesiastes, in, uh, you know, he had, Solomon tried everything. And in, in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 2, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. In verse 4 he says, I made me great works, I built me houses, I planted me vineyards, I made me gardens and orchards, I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruit. I made me pools of water to water therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. 
I got me servants and maidens, had servants born in mine house, also had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold and peculiar treasure of the kings and of the provinces. I got me men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and that of all sorts. So I was great, increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. Whatsoever my eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. Now Solomon worked and labored and had men you know, employed and working in labor to get all this that he had. What happened to it all? It was just left here for his sons and grandsons to squander. And eventually it was carried to Babylon. He said it was all vanity. No, we need to consider. We need to measure our days. It was... um, um, Wilson was the last name. I'm trying to remember his first name. Robert Dick Wilson was a was a uh, apologist for the King James Bible text receptus and the Masoretic text of the Old Testament. And he figured he he looked at his his life and his ancestors, and he said the average years they had would be seventy five. I, don't know, I think he, I don't know how old he was he died. So he, he, he said this, I'm going to spend 25 years in study, 25 years recording and writing down what I studied, and then 25 years speaking or promoting what I've learned in defense of the Bible. And that's what he did. And see, what he did was measure his days, and he, he put... He determined that his days were going to be spent for the things of God. Uh, you know, he was a scholar in his own right. He could he 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 learned he forty five languages or dialects in his twenty five years of study. Some languages that aren't even taught, he had to self learn them. Uh, but anyway, you know, the point is here: we need to measure our days and learn. To live them to please the Lord. And then thirdly, we need to mend our ways. Notice verse 7. And now, Lord, what wait I for? My hope is in thee. And so we need to renew our hope is in the Lord. Our, our hope is in the Lord. It's not in our flesh, our frail flesh. It's not in man. It is in the Lord. Uh, Psalm 121. I will lift up mine eyes unto the, the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. See, the Lord is my help. Uh, Proverbs twenty-one thirty-one: The horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. Uh, Psalm 146, 3. Put not your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man, in whom there is no help. Psalm 118, verse 9, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. You know, we need to, we need to uh, uh, put our hope, renew our hope in the Lord. 
He is our hope. We can have confidence in Him. There's a story, you know, in 2 Kings chapter 6. And I can't remember which king it was. King of Israel, one of the w- wicked grandsons of, uh, of uh, Ahab. But anyway, there's a famine in Samaria. Benadad has besieged Samaria, and there's a famine in Samaria. And a woman uh, cries to the king in 2 Kings 6, 27, and says, and, you know, and asks for the king to help her. And he said, if the Lord do not help thee, whence shall I help thee? Now, that's one statement he said that was right. Uh, I can't help you. If the Lord can't help you, when shall I help thee? Well, in chapter 7, God makes the Syrians hear the noise of battle, and they all flee and leave their tents, and these four leprous men standing outside the gate go spoil the tents. And then, of course, that day there was a... There was a they, they, uh, there was a feast and, you know, uh, lots of food. Uh, no, the Lord helped thee. Uh, there's no hope in man. We need to put our hope in the Lord. Second, we need to seek deliverance from sin. Notice verse 8. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Make me not the reproach of the foolish. And this is one of the reasons why I believe he's referring to Psalm 38, where he talks about uh, how his iniquities had gone over his head and, and they were heavy and his, his body was corrupting. He said, deliver me from my transgressions. Make me not to reproach of the foolish. You know, we need to seek, again, seek from the Lord deliverance from our sin. Of course, this requires confession. And this is to acknowledge our sin. And our sin is a reproach to the Lord. In Psalm 51, uh, David said, Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thy judges. God, my sin is against you. It's against you. So we need to seek deliverance from sin from the Lord. There needs to also be acceptance of God's divine chastening. Notice verse 9. I was dumb. I opened not my mouth. Notice this phrase. Because thou didst it. Think about it. This, This sorrow that's stirring him or this grief that's overcoming him is from the Lord. Notice verse 10. Remove thy stroke away from me. I am consumed by the blow of thine hand. You know what it sounds like to me? He's getting a good whipping. When thou with rebukes dost correct man for iniquity, verse 11, thou makest his his beauty to consume away like a moth. Surely every man is vanity. Selah. There needs to be an acceptance of God's chastening. God, thou didst it. It is your stroke, and and it is to correct me for my iniquity. I really believe that this is the chastening, that, and David's realizing now this is the chastening he's getting because of his sin with Bathsheba. You know, he was exalted king. He had the, the glory of being a king, and kings kind of think they can do whatever they want. And you know what God's doing? Consuming all that away. Look, David, 
to me, you're still nothing. And you need to measure your days, David, even though you're king. You may think you can take whatever you want, but not in my sight. Uriah's wife was Uriah's wife in my sight, not your wife. You know, sometimes we get puffed up. We think, well, you know, we have special privileges. No, we don't. You know, God doesn't show respect of persons. It doesn't matter whether you're king or pauper. And, and, and the Lord is showing David here, look, I'm correcting you. And I'm bringing down your own glory. You're glorying in yourself. Notice the, the phrase there, make us his beauty to consume away, means to dissolve or just kind of melt it away. You know, and one of the things that Nathan said to David when he came to him with that story, remember that story about the lamb? He said, when thou wast little in thy sight. When thou wast little in thy sight. In other words, when David was little in, his, in, the, little in his own sight, he wouldn't have ever considered doing a thing like he just did. But now that he's king, he thinks he can get away with it. And God's reminding him here, no, you can't. You may get away with it with men, but you're not going to get away with it for me. And I'm going to bring that all down. I'm going to dissolve it. I'm going to melt it away. And David's acknowledging, you know what, Lord? You're right. You're going to melt it all away. You see, God works in our lives to melt away our desires, our delights, what's precious to us, that he might have the preeminence, that he might have the glory, that his glory may be seen. You know, Paul spoke of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 in verses 7 through 9. You know, with 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 Paul's life and testimony, he had a lot to glory in. And good reason for men to exalt him above measure because of the hardships he's endured, because of the, the amount of scripture that God enabled him to pen under inspiration. We would all say he was the greatest of the apostles without question. And so there's a danger here of Paul being put up on a pedestal above everybody else. But, and Paul said in, in, in Roman, or 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations, that's the giving, writing of Scripture that he was, he was uh, given under inspiration to pen, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. He said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see, and you know, and, and we don't know for sure, but, but historians say 
also with Paul's infirmity. They think it was some kind of eye disease, and there's a hint of that in Galatians. You know, Galatians says, he says of the Galatians, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. And, and some believe that because of the being struck down, seeing the brilliance or the radiance of, of Christ on the road to Damascus, you know, he was blind, he had scales in his eyes, and, and there was some affliction, that because of that infirmity, he looked ugly. I mean, really ugly. That's the infirmity. You know, we don't know for sure, but, but that's what historians say, that he was ugly to look at in appearance. In fact, he said, I'm base in appearance. He was not a handsome man. Again, this is an affliction. God allowed this in his life to melt away the temptation to be exalted above measure. That God's glory would be seen. You see, sometimes God will chasten us or not sometimes, he will chasten us to get us over ourselves. You know, our biggest problem is ourselves. If we get over ourselves, God can use us. But we've got to get over ourselves. You know, Brother Forney always just say, if you're going to be a missionary, you have to learn to be able to laugh at yourself. You've got to get over yourself. Because you're going to be laughed at. If you can't take being laughed at, you're not going to make it on the mission field. Well, you know, that's part of the Christian life. You're going to be laughed at. You're going to be made fun of. But we need to get over ourselves. And so, there's time we need to muzzle our tongue. And we need to measure our days. And seek to please the Lord with our days. And then, learn to mend our ways. That the glory of God may rest upon us, that his power may be seen in our lives.